We are back for another episode of the Freewheeling Podcast. Double feature this week. Surprise. Uh, We probably would have not had two episodes this week, except that there is an absolutely insane amount of women's world tour racing going on at the moment. And if we waited until next week, we would have another four-day stage race to get into. So we're here to talk about the C-Mac Ladies Tour, the GP to Plue. I'm Abby McKee. I'm joined by Gracie Elvin. Gracie, looking lovely. Thank you. Nice to be here with my lovely ladies. Amy Jones. Amy. Hello. If the people who plan the calendar could think about poor cycling journalists who don't have a day off, that would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Ain't that the truth? Lauren Rowney. Lauren, hello. <laughs> Morning, everyone. Let's just dive right into it. I think we should start with uh, with the CMAC Ladies Tour, which I hate recording this far away from a race because I'm like, what actually happened, happened? especially when there's been another race? <laughs> we had the CMAC Ladies Tour, formerly the Bulls Ladies Tour, won by Chantal Vandenbroek Black for the second quote unquote year in a row. It didn't happen in 2020, but she won in 2019, won again in 2021. And the whole race was pretty exciting. I mean, you'd think that a race that was so flat would not be as exciting as that race was. Granted, there was a little bit of, uh, there was a little bit of chaos that made the race exciting that was unfortunate, but it did make the general classification a pretty crazy fight. The prologue was won by Mariana Voss, so really good to see Voss back to winning. She had a little bit of a rough Olympics. Not really. I mean, she still was, what, fifth? It's not a rough Olympics. <laughs> That's a rough like- Olympics. She's like, I retract my previous statement. (laughs) Uh, She took some time off and then came back for the C-Mac Ladies Tour, won the prologue, actually won stages four and five as well. Allison Jackson once again won from the breakaway, breakaway unable to get caught by the race, and we all get into that. And then uh, stage stage three was won by Lonica Unikin, and that stage was was pretty crazy. the general classification was basically a fight between Marlon Rusa and Chantel Vandenbroek Black. And I just want to say, Marlon Rusa, when she's on a shiv next year, terrifying. Yeah, watch out, eh? She's really good. Yeah. She's also hilarious. Did you see her post-race interviews? <laughs> yeah. I love her the interviews. D- when the, the day was <laughs> a big crash and she's like, I hope my mom didn't see that. Yeah, that was, that was pretty funny. I mean, how do we want to... How do we want to get into this? Should we should we talk stage by stage really quickly or talk just in general? What are the major talking points? I feel like we should start with the stage one, uh, once again, breakaway survives and the Peloton isn't able to catch them because that happened twice at the Tour of Norway, obviously happened uh, in the Olympics. And this is a little bit of a different situation, but meant that Allison Jackson got her first ever world tour victory but also i think there's only really i feel like we pick on dsm a lot but we can pretty easily throw dsm under the bus in this specific situation because when you have lorena Weebus, who is nearly undefeated in sprints in 2021 and you're going into a completely flat and fast finish that will be a sprint finish if you can just catch the two out front then you you kind of you kind of messed it up if you're like sprinting behind them and Movistar. I mean, true because they have Emma Norsgaard who's back, but I feel like I feel like Lorena Weebus is just she's a sprinter. Yeah, Emma Norsgaard is like a punchy kind of all roundery type. She can't. She's not a climber, obviously, but she can time trial super well. She's she's really good in the rolling classics and stuff like that. But Lorena Weebus is hands down the best sprinter the women in the women's peloton. Wait, and, and Trek. Sorry to keep throwing people under the bus here, but Trek had Chloe Hosking, who just won a stage of Norway before. So who else can I chuck <laughs> under the bus? It's kind of like the the double. Wh- uh, the double effect of the Anna Kiesenhofer effect, which is the breakaway survives, yeah. but also there's chaos behind. No one wants to commit because everyone's going, well, it's not my responsibility, it's your responsibility. And that, you know, 
balking at, at taking up the chase and and wanting to not wanting to go too early I think that's really creating these situations where the breakaway does stay away yeah because they almost brought them back I mean it was it was pretty close at one point and then they kind of there were there were points when the peloton was going a lot faster than the break and it was like okay for sure they're gonna bring them back and then they all lined up on the road and we all know what that means they Kind of everyone is like, oh, yeah, we're close enough now, but they weren't close enough. It's your turn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But also in Alison Jackson's um, her her interview afterwards, she also said they, she thinks they had the wind in their favor as well. And and we all know when you've got a tailwind and yeah, you can roughly almost hold the same speed, right? So it makes it a little bit harder. Um, but like you said, they spread out across the road, so that was never gonna. Never going to help. It came close, but. Well, there's only, so I, um, not plug in, but I was writing the other day about, there's like no, there's hardly any sprint opportunities left this season because they cancelled those races in China that I'm not, I can't remember the name of, but um, which are like usually just like sprinter paradise. And then. Toming Island? <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Um, and then I think there's one stage of the Saratizic challenge and then like potentially the women's tour. And then that's, there's like very few opportunities for bunch sprints left this season. So. So all of DSM's potential wins. Yeah. (laughs) The, The reason that I feel so fine throwing DSM under the bus is because they got second in three stages of the ladies tour of Norway. The two stages that were won by the breakaway, they got second. They got third in this stage of the CMAC Ladies Tour behind the two that were out front. So it's kind of just like, mm. y- you guys really need a win. And look, you can do it. But there's some kind of miscommunication miscommun- or some something in, within the team where they're not working together. It's not it's not gelling. And we also saw it, kind of a weird thing at GP to Plue. It was like a split second, but which we'll get to. But there was a point where... Leanna Lippert, Flirty Mackay was off the front and Leanna Lippert fully chased her down. Okay. Yeah, with like 5K to go, pretty close to the fin- on the mm. final, the second to last climb or the final yeah. climb. I mean, it was it was like a, a split second where you had to be paying attention to notice that there was a group on Leanne Lippert's, Leanna Lippert's wheel and there was a gap between her and Flirty Mackay who'd been off the front for a while at that point or been hovering in between Elise Longaborghini and the Peloton. And and Leanna Lippert just brought a huge group back up to Flirty Mackay who was fighting for, for second place at that point. So there's something within T- Team DSM where they're not gelling and it's costing them race wins and we can see it very evidently because of how many times they're they're so close but can't quite get there (laughs) i just wanted to say that um it was cool to see allison jackson get another win and also having her breakaway compatriot mayel grossetete who's you know just getting stronger and stronger as well she's been writing for fdj for a few years now at least and she's such a workhorse for that team so it's cool to see riders like her you know breaking through she's super nice she's like the she's got the best smile and one of the most friendly people that you'll ever meet and she has this super thick french accent so it's hard to talk to her but if you do get a chance to talk to her she's really fun and nice and everyone knows how fun Alison Jackson is and they did this really hilarious reel about forming an alliance, which I thought it was really good. I just, I'm all about the reels at the moment. It's entertaining. (laughs) And yeah, I don't know. I just, I was happy for them to win and get second. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Really, really happy to see, to see them win. And also to see more names kind of in the top, uh, on the top step and hovering around the top. And that's kind of, we, not complained about it, but we were critical of it in the beginning of the year. And we're kind of into the later part of the year where the Olympics are over now. And one of the best parts about the Olympics being over is that we're seeing 
tons of new riders winning races at the moment and it's awesome it's really awesome mm, which sage two marlon russo she's not she's been runner-up at the olympics and the world championships but she's not really won uh, a huge time trial yet and to win a time trial in a world tour stage race is a pretty big deal by a mile First, yeah by a lot <laughs> by a lot um should we talk about the stage three crash because that was that was nuts. We talked about it on the Cycling Tips podcast, but Lorena Weebus's wheel slipped off the, the Belgian pavement in which there's a lip, and there was no way she could hold it up when it hit the dirt and also kind of went alongside the, the edge of that pavement. And she went down, taking down most of the peloton with her, and there was only six riders left in contention at that point. It was. I wrote something on Cycling Tips that got a little bit of criticism, but look... I was watching it and I was thinking for sure they're going to neutralize, right? Because there's so many people that went down. No one can get through. The cars can't get through at that point. It's a safety hazard, you know, and there, there was just like so much chaos going on behind it. And the truth of the matter is with 5.5 K to go, it's way too close to the finish. They can't, it's kind of like the race is the race is on at that point. The race was on when they crashed. There's no way that they could have they could have in theory neutralized it, but I feel it would have been more dangerous to neutralize it, have everybody stop and then only have 4.5 kilometers of racing by the time they actually organized everything. But mm-hmm. I mean a great win by Lanika Unikin, but it is overshadowed a little bit by the fact that the it was just this insane crash that took down so many people. I, my feeling is everyone should have got a bunch of time. Hmm. And then people could have, you know, gotten off the ground, taken their time to get back instead of this panic rush to yeah get to the finish because obviously everyone knew the, the clock was ticking at that point. And um, I even saw a post by one of the writers saying um, that on her way to the finish, they opened the roads again. And so, you know... How is that safe? And she Asian crashed really badly. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Even yeah. though she, she was injured and everything, trying to get to the finish, didn't care about the time at that point because of her injury. But then to have the, the roads open, like that's when they should have stepped in and gone, yep, bunch time. I mean, yeah, there was a lot of discussion whether you keep riding or not. And on the Dutch commentary, um, they were saying, yeah, you do keep riding. But I just think that's something they could have done. And then we would have seen maybe a closer GC battle between um, Marlon and probably SD Works. Well, not to take anything away from Chantal, but that's when she won it because she just didn't crash. Exactly. Like, I don't know. Like, she wasn't, I don't know where she was the day before, but yeah. I, I don't I feel she like they should have top five in the time trial, actually, or maybe in the. Oh, moment. yeah, she did. But I mean, she finished high up, yeah. Yeah. But, like, just by virtue of being someone who didn't deck it, she then managed to get some time. Which is part of bike racing. It is, for sure. But. For sure. Yeah, I guess I was going to say that, too. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we're being a bit too, like, rainbows and butterflies. Like, everybody should have a chance. But, yeah, it's bike racing. It's carnage. (laughs) I mean, there's a safety factor involved in this one that, you can't you can't really ignore that's the biggest thing is the safety right at the end of the day i'm gonna stop but uh just in general speaking to some of the riders um it was just really nervous and aggressive in the bunch um and it wasn't i mean holland ladies tour sorry it's that's the old name (laughs) um it has that reputation of being like you know you know what you're lining up for there it can be crazy and chaotic but um, just in general this year, at least I've heard whisperings from some writers in Belgium that just in general, there's less respect in the bunch. And I don't know if this is accurate. Gracie only retired last year, but that's just sort of what I've heard about um, the racing in general this year. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know if it's respect or not, but it's just more desperation. And I guess that's a cost in some ways of having better money in the sport. Um, I hope that we never get to a point where doping becomes attractive in women's cycling, but certainly when there's more money involved, 
there's more desperation to get big results so you can get that better paycheck or the bonus or the prize money. So, like, that's a really good thing that our economy of this sport has improved so much, but there's just a lot more desperation now. And I don't mean that in a negative sense. I just mean that in, like, people are scrapping to get results because they can. Everyone's so much stronger now. And that's why some of these breakaways are surviving because, it's not just the top 20 that always win all the same races. Like the whole peloton is so strong. The whole peloton mixes it up. There's crashes happening more and more at the front now. And even in the last five years that I was racing, the crashes were happening a, happening a lot more in the front than they were in previous years where the, some of the crashing, most of the crashing would be happening in the back because it was the riders that weren't good enough, but they weren't even good enough to be in the front in the first place. But now you see so many riders strong enough to be there but they just don't have the skill set but you know some of the best riders are crashing too like we saw in this one like she was one of the top riders and she still you know made a mistake and that's the nature of crashing and I agree with Lauren and that it should have just been bunch time for everyone but the race was should have gone ahead like those riders that didn't crash deserve to finish and race for the win but yeah I think we hear a lot about from the men's side of things that there's a lack of respect from the young riders not respecting their elders and i don't know if we have the the real depth like the men's cycling does in having that history um but there's certainly a lot of riders like Voss, for example who you know she warrants respect she's been around for a long time um, so it'd be more interesting, I guess, to hear from her because I felt like every now and again I'd get a bit hoity-toity and be like, I can't believe she did that. Like, doesn't she know who I am? But I didn't really have a lot of risk, like, right to think that because I wasn't that well-known. Um, but, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear from someone like Voss or Lizzie Dagnan if if they believe that there's less respect in the peloton, in the women's peloton riders who can put out these incredible numbers and then they get picked up for top teams, but they don't have any experience and they haven't, you know, raced the crits. They haven't done the kermesses. They don't know how to handle a bike, but they have egos. And so they're riding at the front and it's super dangerous. And I feel like teams should be, teams should take responsibility for teaching their riders how to handle a bike. I mean, I, when I first signed for a pro team, my my uh, director was like, we're sending you to a three-day clinic with Allison Powers where you're going to learn how to handle a bike, which kind of kick-started being able to corner. And same with uh, with Katie Hall when she signed for Bulls Dolmans. They were like, you're not great at riding in the Peloton. We're going to send you to a bunch of kermesses in Belgium, and you're going to learn how. And I feel like that's – teams should – Teams should do that. I mean, it's good. It's a good skill set to have, and you should have it for the safety of yourself and the riders around you. I mean, I started on a bike when I was 13, like a race bike, and exactly what you're saying, Abby, is is a lot of these riders are missing out on those skills you learn. So I started with a club, and then part of that junior training was actually doing skills training, which is fun at that age, of course, but like riding the cones and doing the the club crits and I because uh, the city that I come from there weren't many girls riding I was always in the the crits from the age of 13 with men um, in big bunches so those formative years it's like a lot of these women who come into the sport in their 20s just don't have and I think it's really great that your team sent you to to Alison Powers um, technical course because yeah definitely I don't know if Canyon Shram ever did that with with their Zwift riders um, I remember the very first rider that came into the peloton Paul Lear had an incredible engine but just no bike handling skills and then that's just dangerous for everyone isn't it because it's not like a running race where you just put on a pair of shoes and run almost in a straight line and uh, there's so many other elements it, one of the coolest things about women's cycling is that people can get into it so late but there is a cost to that mm-hmm. and, he is to be neither to neither have a big engine or skills you can't crash if you get dropped <laughs> safety from the back is this what you've been waiting to say <laughs> This is my job, Lauren. This is hey. my role on this podcast is to listen to all you, give your insight into like actually being pro riders and then just like come out with something stupid about how shit I was. 
Amy, there is an element of truth to that because isn't that exactly what Anna, I always say her name wrong, the Olympic champion said? She's either off the front. Oh, yeah. yeah, She's off the front or she's chilling off the the back. She won the Olympics and she went off the front and I was just spat after like 10K. But yeah, same, same. Mm-hmm. Evelyn Stevens used to just kind of <laughs> hover off the back of the Peloton. Yes. And if you ever saw Evelyn Stevens, you're like, I am too far back. And then you were dropped. But Evelyn Stevens <laughs> was like this incredible, just such an insane engine. And you were like, if you ever learned how to ride in the Peloton, you'd be very, very, you'd win a lot more races. And she won a lot, to be fair. But like, she was so bad at bike handling and she would just ride at the back. And then as people got dropped, she'd just ride around them. And then she'd be off the front. Yeah. She she but she had a lot of fear. To be fair to them now though, they tend to go for a lot of the riders that have come out of that in recent years have already been riding like they've yeah, they've mm-hmm. raced before and they target that to get because they come from places like Australia and New Zealand and wherever. Yeah. Yeah. I think another part of the equation which I'd love to hear your opinions on this is the course. And if you know it's more more than not likely that it's going to be a sprint finish for men's or women's cycling, should there be better rules around how many how narrow the roads can be in the last five kilometres, how many roundabouts there can be, um, factors like that that affect race safety because the progression of both men and women cycling isn't going to slow down it's only going to keep getting better people are only going to keep getting stronger there's only going to be more young people coming through who want a a piece of the pie which is great that's what sport should be about so is it therefore up to the uci or race organizers to ensure that that other part of the equation which is the course and the road the conditions of all of those features if if that's the thing that's moderated what do you guys think yes i Uh, mean this was basically what we saw at the tour right was that there was so many crashes and it was so bad in the first couple days because the and for a couple of the other stages later on because the course wasn't safe and i mean watching the time trial yesterday in the formerly known as bink bake tour I can't remember what it's called. They were, they were, there was literally a median in the middle of the road in the time trial that they were all bunny hopping, which like, if you have a, if you're like, that's not, no, I'm not, I'm not okay with that. I cannot believe that nobody was like, yeah, maybe this isn't a great idea to have in a bike race. Um, mm. But yeah, I think if, if the Peloton is getting faster, if there's more women at the front, more, more riders, even in the men's side, kind of fighting for that win, then there's, there's a fine line, right? You can't make it too wide because when it's too wide, it's also dangerous. Mm -hmm. But this particular road that they were riding on that close to the finish, if it had been 20 K out, then it would have been a lot safer for them to be riding on that road. But because they were riding on such a, such a narrow road with six kilometers to go, that was when, that was why the crash happened because it was too close to the finish. And I mean, we were talking about this also the, the turn at the, that was like 300, 400 meters from the finish. It was like a 90 degree turn. And we did see a rider go down in that because they just couldn't, you know, turn, turn that the um, overshot. Yeah. The and corner. so it could, we, yeah. if the whole Peloton had gone into that turn, we would have seen another huge pileup for sure. And I think that there is, there does need to be a regulation of how these finish lines play out and how, how they, um, how they plan for 10 kilometers to go. Yeah, I agree 100% with what both of you said. but And it goes back to what Gracie was saying as well with the desperation as well as the fact that we have more riders that can be there contesting it. Whereas maybe, yeah, six, seven years ago, you'd see a lot of riders just fall back and then you'd have just those very select teams that could actually push the power at the front and it would very naturally just thin out the bunch. But now everyone's coming up with their trains. Um, we have so many different teams that can, te- can contest a sprint finish. And whilst if you are a very technical rider, it can be quite fun and advantageous to have really technical finishes. Like, you know, Sagan is a sort of rider who can sort of 
do good things in that sort of situation. But yeah, I agree. It should be more thought out. Um, and you would probably see, no, I'm sure you would see a reduction in crashes. It's just anyone who's been in a, a sprint finish knows that from yeah, at least 10 kilometers, it's game on and it gets yeah. crazy. And I really <laughs> am reluctant to even, you know, suggest this because cycling is technical and that's what makes it exciting. Like you need to have skills to be a good rider. You can't just have the engine. And that was my bread and butter. Mm-hmm. I love the technical stuff, the narrow stuff, the windy stuff. But yeah, just from my recent experience, it was just much more dangerous the last few years in those situations. And I think it does need to be a bit more tempered nowadays. It doesn't need to be vanilla, but it certainly needs to be a little bit more moderated just for those last five to 10 kilometers for sure. There's just a, there's a time and place to have those crazy narrow roads. If you have narrow roads like that in the spring classics, it's fine. The Peloton has imploded at that point. There's a lot less riders fighting for the win. Um, but if you have narrow roads like that, when it comes to a bunch sprint, it's a, it's a completely different scenario. It's like, yeah, I, I same Gracie, I'm not proposing we take away the narrow roads, but I think that there's a, there's a time and place to have them in a, in a finish. And if you're looking at the finish and you're like, for sure, this is going to be a bunch sprint, then maybe plan as such and make it safer for the riders. Yeah, and, like, there's obviously an inherent risk in the job of being a cyclist, but, like, that doesn't mean that, like, unnecessary, there's, there needs to be, I don't know, the UCI and organisers and, I mean, Gracie might know more about this with, like, TCA work and stuff, but, like, someone needs to look after the rider's safety in terms of, like, that that course design, someone should have looked at that and gone, mm, bit sketchy, maybe let's not do that. Instead of like, you know, like, of course there's risk, like, but add into it or like any unnecessary risks in course design, like what you were just talking about in that time trial, like there should be someone looking at that going, no, take that out. That's not safe. Like, who? I don't know who. It's like the, what was the um, horrible crash last year with Jakobsen, that crazy downhill sprint. Like, like that. Why? That ruined multiple people's lives. And people had complained about that exact finish in the past before we had that crash because it was a downhill sprint. It was unnecessary. And then on top of that, you had the, the barriers that weren't properly set up, which at this point, like, how do we not have good barriers? I'm sorry. Like Mm -hmm. it's 20, it was 2020. There should be, there is a chaotic bird outside that agrees with me that (laughs) there should be, you know, it's, we're not, we're not in the the 1990s anymore. Like update the damn barriers. Anyway, that we don't have to get into that. That was, that was a while ago, but it kind of all lumps into the same thing where cycling has this tendency to be stuck in the stuck, like 20 years behind and refuses to change. Yeah. Oh, to wrap up this little uh rabbit hole that we've gone into i just want to remind everyone and it's funny now because it's so long ago but it wasn't funny at the time lauren you had a horrendous crash Mm. on a finish line once in holland and it was a spectator's fault do you want to talk us through that one (laughs) i was just thinking of that in my head i was like barriers yep six years ago um and that caused like a huge stir in the media from men and women because all of us were like, yeah, I mean, at the time I was in hospital, but most people were outraged because that could have been avoided by just having proper barriers. Like there should be no, absolutely no race where a, a spectator can lean over a barrier and touch a rider. And that's exactly what happened was this older man, I don't know what he was doing, it looked like he wanted to pull me off my bike just based on how his arm was outstretched. But that that pretty much ruined half of the year for me and had, like, huge mental um, – what's the word? I had – what's it called? Post-traumatic stress after that a little bit. So, yeah, it just – it was something that could have been avoided and – 
And for years after that, similar things happened in other races. I mean, just, I think earlier this year, Matteo Jorgensen on Movistar crashed in the finale of one of the early races because there was a jacket on the side, on the barrier and his handlebar caught the jacket. I mean, it's stuff like something that happened to you that should have been taken note of by the UCI or the CPA and been like, okay, so this is something that is a problem that can never happen again. But because cycling, it continues to happen. And that is therein lies the issue. Anyway, we should move on because, uh, Gracie's got places to be. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Stages four and five were awesome. Super chaotic. Really, really aggressive. Uh, Mer- the the finale of stage four, I was. It was funny watching it with Tom's because he was so frustrated that they all kind of s- were at a standstill at the bottom of the final climb with Chantal Vandenbroek Black only ten seconds behind on the general classification. Um, you'd think that they would like she would at least pull like she she was obviously thinking of the stage win and not thinking oh i could take the general classification by a lot today um because you think she would just pull up that to get more time but no they all three kind of stopped and it was really it was funny for me to watch because i was like i didn't really think of that but tom's you know who's obviously a very good bike racer was like what are they doing why are they riding um but mariana voss won stage four uh, really good race from Cash and Iwadoma. Uh, she's like, she'd crashed in stage three and taken a lot of skin off. So good to see her kind of jump right back up. And it's, it bodes well for, for the world championships. I mean, we want all the riders that have any kind of shot of winning the worlds to be on form and be healthy and be in one piece because that makes the race more exciting. Um, and, and then, yeah, Chantal Vanderbrook Black, that was the day she, she won the overall. Stage five was another very chaotic day. What was weird about four, though, stage four and the end, mm-hmm. the finale, because the two behind Chantal Vanderbrook Black, like her two teammates were like pulling fr- the bunch behind. Like mm-hmm. Amy Peters and Demi Vollering finished fourth and fifth behind her. And, and then Marta Bastianelli was doing what? I mean, Marlon Russo only, like, she, <laughs> Marlon Russo was in the leader's jersey and was pulling the group herself while she had a teammate in there. And Bastianelli got on the front a couple times, but then finished, like, six, like, ten seconds ahead of Bart Bastian, of, uh, of Marlon Russo. Yes. So very, just uncool tactics mate <laughs> sorry yeah I'm like, it's kind of like if your teammates in the leader's jersey you're on the front it's a bit old school you know? italian team tactics <laughs> mm. yeah i think gracie just nailed it <laughs> yeah. there um i'm sure chloe hosking has a few comments she could contribute <laughs> being on la yeah, yeah. And anyway. then, yeah, stage stage five was another really good finish with uh, with Marianne Voss taking the win. Two pretty crazy weather days, those two days. When I turned on stage four, <laughs> I was like, what has happened? They like, Have they all just ridden through like a mud? Is this cyclocross? Like, what is the deal? No, guys, it's just summer in the north. That's how we roll I thought for a second that like my feed was, had like a filter or something <laughs> over it. It was so- so they were all so dirty oh my god i was cold watching that i was like nah yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay what else do we have to let's wrap up c-mac in general i thought it was a really great race really nice to see voss back on form with three stage wins especially ahead of the world championships and great to see marlon rusa finally on the top step um and kind of fighting for that general classification win because she's she's so strong and um often is kind of mm, misses opportunities because of her her team situation which will not happen next year um yikes is all i have to say when it comes to that and then um yeah just in general more women's bike racing hooray um guys a fun fact Talking about this race and past winners, you know Evelyn Stevens won this yeah, tour. Yeah, I did know that. Yeah. It's got some good and winners we just talking this about, race. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that was like, for me, I remember saying to her, that's the most impressive race you've ever won in my <laughs> eyes, just knowing how you race and ride a bike. 
Yeah, is like, that is impressive. <laughs> they must really. have had a hilly stage or two at yeah. the end. There's a few years there where they would finish around Gothenburg yeah. and it was so hard. <laughs> yeah. I think it was almost like, do you remember the Holland Hills classic? It was pretty much that stage mm. where she took it, but they had a, a full-on yeah. time trial too and she was a boss in that time my, trial. The so. mo- my favourite Evelyn memory, I was never her teammate, but I was at Turing in the year that she did Giro and Tur- double Giro and Turingen back to back. There was like one day yeah. rest between, and she won Turingen the second tour. And we were there fresh, yeah. and she just flogged us, and it was really embarrassing, but it was very impressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so then we had the GP de Plue the next day, back to back, which is fascinating for when for how teams kind of broke up uh their their rosters for each race but Plue was was awesome Elisa Langeborghini flying she was easily mm. the strongest person person at the race with multiple attacks that decided the race and then she just rode away from everyone I mean not like that sounded not great like it was very very exciting her racing was very <laughs> exciting and she was for a long time, when she was off the front in the final lap of the race, the the peloton was still very close. It was like they were going the same speed, and she couldn't get any time, and so it was still kind of you're biting your nails watching it. And she ended up winning by a good amount. Well, not I mean not a minute, but it was enough um, that she could stop and really enjoy it. But really, really nice to see Elias Lagerberghini back because she had such an incredible spring and then or such an incredible early spring and then really struggled to kind of maintain that form throughout the summer um and especially with a disappointing giro donne uh this is she's on form right in time for for worlds mm. and it's great and even with that disappointing giro it must be her best season ever overall from my perspective sure. do, you, do you agree Absolutely. I mean, she still was third at the Olympics. Yeah, I was going to say so. Olympic bronze ain't bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And like, let's remember if we go back to podcasts from, like you said, Abby, the spring and listen, it was just constantly talking about Elisa riding away from mm-hmm. everyone. And like, it sticks in my mind again, well, with him, <laughs> where she just powered away. Oh, that was such like, ridiculous. She was tactics. Just, <laughs> but she, but like, just talking about strength. <laughs> no, she, I mean, she literally she was, really was like, on another level. She took a pole. And and dropped everyone and was like, oh, I'll just keep going. Where, like, she should have been like, oh, I should probably, like, wait for them because we need everybody for this finish. But I mean, it was still. Yeah, well, okay, so Amso Gold was actually the fault of the car. (laughs) Okay. Because she was getting faulty information from her director. One instance where. It was Ina, Ina in the car, and it was Ina in the car. Sounds like Cluedo. (laughs) It was Ina in the car. One instance we're like having (laughs) Ina in the car with the the race radio. (laughs) Having the race radio at that point (laughs) was was not helpful for Elisa because I think that she uh, she was getting told something from the car, um, and it was it was like a telephone. Like, Ina was saying something, Eliza misheard it because the radio was too crackly or something, and that's why that happened. There we go. We've absolved her of that one. I mean, kind of. <laughs> well, you can't, like, if Ina Tutenberg is your director, you can't exactly be like, I think that I should not listen to you. I'm going to do something else because that's just, like, a recipe for, uh, for death. But, mm, there, yeah, it's, this is a... This is a whole rabbit hole. This is a tangent down. now. Back to Plue. Yeah. Anyway, Fade to Plue. Yeah, really, really, really exciting race. And like, I already talked about the weird DSM tactics. Um, but it was great to see a lot of riders attacking. And it was an awesome circuit that they did. That they, they had 11 laps of that circuit. And so it just really broke a lot of people's legs and kind of naturally thinned out the peloton and made it so the the best of the best were fighting for the win. And it was good. It was really good. It was hard to write the race report because it was like, oh, and then this group. And then they rejoined with this group. <laughs> and then more people went off the front. And then they also rejoined with this group. Yeah. <laughs> it's just complete. Mine was chaos. so long. 
I was there for ages. I was like, oh, completely into the results. But I was just going to say, like, it was a biggish group at the finish, but the just purely the top 10 told you how hard it was because, you know, the sprinters, insert quotes, weren't, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, you know, like it was, it was quite a, a strange result sheet in some ways. Mm-hmm. Which but is, make up the young riders as well. Yeah. Loads of uh, good rides from, like Anna Henderson rode really well. She's super strong at the moment. Good course for her though, with like, there's super technical descents in that course. Yes. Um, and if you're- And what did she do? You dying to say it. You dying to say it. What did she used to do? <laughs> she used to be a ski racer. <laughs> She's like my people, you know. (laughs) Uh, And new Fisher Black, yes, yet again. After doing like quite a lot of work as well, she came Mm -hmm. twelve. Yeah, that the second and third. Yeah, who came second? Oh, (laughs) I said a name. Uh, Gladys Verholst. Verholst. I don't know how you say that. Gladys, just Gladys. She came second. Team Arkea. Um, it's the first time we've seen Arkea on a world tour podium. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, that's special. Kristen Faulkner third. I feel like Abby had a had a had opinions on on that. Her finish. sprint was really dangerous. I mean, her sprint was like if if it hadn't if the camera had kind of like say that Elisa Langoberghini wasn't off the front, then the that and that finish had just been that finish. There were multiple riders who deviated from their sprint line and had it been a sprint finish from that group, we would have had a lot to say, I feel like. But that's just tying back into the conversation we just had where Chris and Faulkner, brand new to racing, like literally first UCI race, our dash of 2020. And she's contesting the win at races like GP de Plouay. And that's, I mean, her sprint was her sprint was dangerous. I I don't have any problem saying that. Yeah, I mean that's literally what we were just talking about. Going on the record. Yeah, exactly. She needs to go to. I mean, it was really impressive. (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah. She lives in Girona. Go take her down L's. That's a business idea for you running a skills clinic. (laughs) I don't have the patience. I I watched you race, (laughs) and I think that you would really get value out of this. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was a really, really impressive result from Kristen Faulkner um I don't want to take anything away from that like to win a stage at a at a stage race is one thing to place third in a world tour one day is like a completely other skill set like one day is a race so differently mm-hmm. but it was but it's still like yeah I watching that I was like ooh, ooh ah, <laughs> no but it was it was a good race overall if anybody missed racing uh missed watching it it was on a Monday very weird day for for world tour one day but i recommend watching it bank holiday in the uk maybe that's was it bank holiday in france do they have i don't think i mean they they had it on the monday because cmac tour ended on the sunday love that for us yeah (laughs) what is what is rest who knows it it is like now back to back to back to back i mean the day that this comes out is the day that the Saratizit challenge by La Vuelta starts, which is a four-day stage race that'll be going on all weekend. And so it's really, like, they've really piled it on to the, the rear end of the season. They kind of had to, I and guess. And the women don't stop. They don't stop racing until, like, October 23rd or something crazy. Yeah, Drenta, like, yeah. Imagine doing no, Drenta hard pass. at that stage of the year. Oh, I mean, the World Championship should just be the end. Like, the World Championship should just be, like, cool season done and dusted like let let the riders finish in september Mm -hmm. why do we have to continue of course like the reason that we're continuing on through october is because perry roubaix the women's tour and drenta have all been postponed so it's still like another weird year but really guys like okay for one could we not could we not have postponed drenta and perry roubaix to like july and well not july because that was a busy month but like june one of the months where it was like a, just a couple months postponement. Like why? Why all the way to the end of October? We're basically like think... the second of October. Yeah, but still. Yeah. Let me go on my rant, Amy. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Well, we should change gears a little bit. Um, I I just mentioned the 
the Sarah Tizit challenge by La Vuelta, which is going to happen uh, today and the next three days. So definitely check that out. It's two pretty hilly days, a uphill time trial and one sprint stage. The preview is on cyclingtips.com right now. Go check it out. But the the final conversation we're having today is we're not going to get into the politics of what's going on in Afghanistan, but we have one audio message from uh, Shannon, who is helping get a lot of these women out of Afghanistan and was kind enough to send us an audio message. Um, and a lot of the messages she couldn't send because their the women's safety would be uh, put at, in jeopardy. But I wanted Amy to talk a little bit about the articles that she's written dealing with the the crisis in Afghanistan and getting these women out and their kind of the, their rights. Yeah. So basically, so Shannon, if anyone hasn't actually um, read the article, um, she's been working with women alongside, she would say, um, women in Afghanistan um, for over a decade. Um kind of yeah just kind of bringing the power of cycling and the freedom that that brings like and showing them because so I mean I'm trying not to go on like an explainer of like the whole history of everything but for the last like 20 years until very recently women's rights in that country in a post Taliban era at the time were being rebuilt um because they were they were virtually non-existent um and she went over there um she set up like a mountain bike group um and basically it's not you know it wasn't just like racing and stuff it's like freedom to go wherever you want on a bike and not be like shunned for it but by the time by the at the start of this year i guess it must have been like there were like seven race teams um there was I mean, an Afghan woman went to the Olympics. Um, you know, it was starting to become acceptable for women to be riding bikes. Um, yeah, there was like so much. She made a lot of progress. Well, not just her, obviously, but like, yeah. Anyway, there's actually an article. I articulated that very badly, but there's actually an article on cycling tips from like five years ago, I think, um, about that. So if you just like search Shannon galpin her name i hope i pronounced that right um i'll, I'll throw it into the show notes for yeah this that's episode. better so if anyone wants to read it you can just scroll down and click see and uh yeah so then i caught up with her um in the middle of august and she was basically on like panic stations like getting these women out of the country um because under the Taliban, like, you know, they they kind of said they weren't they were gonna keep women's rights and allow, but they were saying like under Muslim rule or whatever it was, like, so this is terrible. Like I'll never work for the BBC. Um so but basically, um yeah, you're not allowed to ride bikes you're not allowed to do many things least of all ride bikes under like under sharia law which is the what they will be enforcing um even though they say they won't and um so they were desperately trying to get out all these cyclists that they've been working with so they've gone from like you know freeing them and like showing them this amazing thing that can bring them so much and then having that that then becoming a threat to their lives literally and then having to evacuate them from the country from afar and she's been working like day and night to do that um and yeah so the like the latest is that yesterday was the last day that i mean the last u.s troops pulled out of the country and it's now yeah but the evacuations are continuing and Shannon's still working um, with that to help evacuate people. Um, but a lot of the cyclists have been evacuated already. So hopefully we can hear... Can you hear my dogs? Um, hopefully we can hear um, from them when it's safe for them to speak. But 
for now um there's a fund that shannon's set up a fundraiser um which i guess abby can link in the show notes and um that's just to help the help finance the continued evacuation efforts so yeah if you haven't i i just rambled there but there's two articles which i promise i can actually write better than i can speak so go find those and then you can read shannon's own words and um yeah it's uh yeah it's just awful and there's no other way of describing it and but yeah she's doing an amazing job and yeah that's all i have to say because it's yeah I'm one of one of the things that Shannon's been really um, pushing for all of us to remember is that this is still going on. It's not over. Even once they get the women out, they need somewhere to put them. They need, you know, help resettling and and everything. And um, so that's kind of if you think, oh, well, they've gotten most of them out. I'm I'm not going to donate or you don't have you don't have to donate. Obviously, we're not pushing that. But this is just something that for the four of us, cycling has brought us so much in life. Um, and there's so much freedom connected to the bike. And this is literally these women's freedom being taken away. Um, whether bikes were related to it or not. So it's important for us to bring this up because it's, it's horrifying and, um, incredible what Shannon is doing. And if we can, make any kind of, uh, help her in any way. It's something that is very important. So check out Amy's articles and the link to donate to the fundraiser is also in, in the show notes. I just wanted to say thanks to Amy for explaining it and, and for her beautifully written articles. Um, I think it's really important and it's something that it's been really hard to read about for me. Like it, puts our very privileged lives into a massive perspective so yeah I think thanks Amy for getting the message out there so we're gonna sign off today with the audio clip that we have from Shannon (laughs) Shannon, 